You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Morning. Today we're finishing up a series that we've been in all this month that focuses on uh, generosity. Um, if you'll <laughs> look at the uh, at the wall chart we have uh, for Africa, uh, you guys made it come up a good bit uh, last Sunday, and we thank you for that. So uh, we are uh, almost there at, at that goal as far as providing the funds needed uh, to uh, roof the uh, the church uh, itself. So. Uh, I uh, hope you'll be uh, praying about that. Next week, Lynn will be sharing with you in the whole message uh, about the trip and, uh, and kind of just asking you to pray and kind of like a send-off time for them as they'll be departing to uh, go that direction. But uh, I want to tell you up front, I'm sure he will next Sunday also, how much we appreciate your generosity and uh, in your giving in, in this way. Uh, I'd be remiss today also to uh, fail to mention another uh, means of generosity that we ought to recognize today. We have freedom to meet here and worship today uh, because some people served our country and shed their blood and lost their lives uh, in order that, uh, in, that we might have the freedom that we have today. So uh, I hope you'll join me in prayer uh, right now and let's uh, pray about our generosity, but let's all pr- pray, also pray with thanksgiving for the men and women who have lost their lives so we may have the freedom uh, that we have here in, in our nation. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, God, thank you for the example, Lord, that you give us in generosity by you being so generous that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Father, I pray you teach us, continue to teach us today more about your generous nature. I thank you for, uh, Lord, some of the progress that we've already seen uh, this month. And Father, I pray you just continue to help us to be more like you, to make us more generous. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, I'm going to uh, be kind of going through things, maybe it seems like fast today, because we've got another opportunity for generosity to kind of place before you at the end of the service. Some of you may have sat down to where you saw a flyer here about Compassion International. Uh, so there'll be more said about that at the end. Ken and Macy is going to share with you uh, a little bit about it. Uh, Becky and myself have a, a, a little girl that we sponsored for several years now that lives in Bolivia. And uh, in all, and we have some other church members that have done that. So uh, I just hope you'll pray about that also at the uh, uh, at the end of the service for what you know amounts to uh, buying a drink a day, you know, or something like that at the store. You can support uh, some uh, some child in need uh, across the world. I'm, I'm going to jump down to to our main uh, points that we've already seen so far in this passage of uh, generosity. Uh, today we're looking at verse 16 through 15, but of uh, chapter 9 of, uh, of 2 Corinthians. But uh, what Paul is doing is he teaches about generosity. He's talking to the Corinthian church. They had agreed to take up a missions offering to help needy believers in Jerusalem. Uh, it had been about a year now. They had not finished taking up that missions offering. Paul is writing to encourage them to do so. He uses the Macedonian church, which was a very poor church who had done all that they could do and beyond that they could do with a joyful heart to give. So Paul is using that as motivation and encouragement to the Corinthian believers to be generous. What we've seen so far 
are these principles. Because in these weeks, we've, we've looked at 10 principles just going verse by verse. First one is that generosity displays God's grace. God and His grace is generous to us. We need to practice that and, and, and show that to others through our generosity. Principle number two, generosity is an important part of the Christian faith. It's as important as, you know, other means of discipleship, other things that we might focus on uh, a lot. Generosity is also to be part of our Christian life. Principle number three, the example of Jesus. Jesus leaving heaven, coming to this earth, dying on the cross for our sins should be something that compels you and I as believers to be generous. Uh, Principle number four, generosity is planned in a proportionate commitment. We need to plan to do it or probably won't happen, you know, where we set it aside and we're ready to give. It's proportionate based upon what we have, not what we do not have. Principle number five, generosity involves equality. In other words, all of us together can kind of join hands and uh, give with equality and share the burden of helping to to fund missions and ministry and, uh, and things such as that. Principle number six, Generosity deserves godly stewardship and management. If people give, we ought to manage it and and be good stewards of what they give. Principle number seven, sometimes a little bit of competitiveness helps a little bit. And Paul County did that. So some comparison with other ministries sometimes, just like between the Corinthians and the Macedonians, might motivate us uh, a little bit toward generosity. What we're going to look at today is the last three principles, principle number eight, 9 and 10 that Paul lists in this passage of Scripture that we've been studying in these weeks. So here's principle number 8. Generosity is about a harvest. Generosity is about a harvest. I'm going to read all the verses and then we'll break it down. But look at verse 6 through 12 as he kind of uh, focuses on planting a seed, on on the idea of harvest. Uh, Paul says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he, talking about God, uh, and and also he's talking about a a believer, someone who believes in God, distributed freely. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in the thanks in thanksgivings, many thanksgivings to God. Look at the, look at what he says through those verses that we've just uh, read. To begin with, Paul Kelly tells us this. He he tells us that the the point of our generosity should be harvest focused. That ought to be the reason why we're giving. I mean, I mean, to kind of make it really clear, Paul just starts out and he says the point is this. So, you know, that's why we're going to focus for a minute on what Paul is saying the point is. The point is whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's given Kylie a, a, just a basic illustration using a farmer. If a farmer goes out and plants, you know, one seed, he can't expect to go back and have a whole field and a whole crop there because he just planted one seed. We need to be willing to, to, to focus upon planting many seeds if we want a big 
harvest. In other words, if you and I want to increase in the kingdom of God or increase in the ministry maybe that we're involved in in our lives, it requires us to sow seeds, not just a few seeds, but many seeds if we want to reap in a large way. That's the, the, the illustration that he's using here about a farmer. A farmer, if he goes out in the spring and he thinks, I want a really big harvest next fall, but he throws out about 10 seeds, what's he going to have? He's not going to have a big harvest. He has to go out and be willing by faith to plant a large number of seeds. And we have to do the same thing if we want to have a a huge impact upon the kingdom of God. We have to be willing to sow into the lives of other people. He's saying the point of it is that it should be harvest-focused. That ought to be the point of why we give. You know, we shouldn't give just to have bigger bank accounts for churches. I, I've, I've never liked that. I've known churches that, have, that, that do that. And, and guys, I don't understand, you know, wanting to amass three, $400,000. I mean, if you're getting ready to build a building, you have to build a building. You know, that's one thing. But if you're just putting it in the bank, putting it in the bank, putting it in the bank, uh, you know, if the rapture happens, you know you just left the money behind for the Antichrist. You realize that? <laughs> I mean, we need to be using it for ministry. We need to be using it to impact people's lives. Paul is, is saying the point of it, and then he gives this illustration about a, a farmer planting seed. The point of generosity ought to be focused on a harvest. That's why a farmer puts seed in the ground. He wants a harvest. The point of our generosity shouldn't be to amass a lot of money in a, in a bank account for a church or to build beautiful cathedrals all over the place. The point of generosity from the people of God ought to be to sow seeds into the lives of other people. It ought to be to impact the lives of of other people. And we've got the opportunity to do that, you know, through things like this mission trip to Africa. That's why we need to be focused uh, upon a harvest. If a farmer sows a lot of seed, he's got a better chance of having a big harvest. If an investor makes a lot of investments and he does it wisely, he's got a bigger chance of having a large um, return on what he what he's invested in you and I as Christians, if we will invest more into the kingdom of God, we have a chance to have more fruit come for God's kingdom and for his glory. Here's some of the verses that kind of address this same principle. In Proverbs, it says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You see, that flies in the face of what our world culture you know, would, would gravitate toward. Because somehow in, in our mind, if we want to get more, then we've got to hold on to more. You know, and if you're giving it away, then it's just gone. And, and you know, and you start worrying about everything. How am I going to retire? How am I going to do this or do that? So, so the, the world doesn't understand that principle. But come back to the farmer again for a moment. If the farmer, you know, kind of stingily is keeping all these seed back, because he's afraid if he goes and plants all his seed in the ground, he's made this investment. What happens if he doesn't get a return? What happens if it doesn't rain? What happens if you know, the sun doesn't come down on it, makes it grow, and, and things like that? So you've got a farmer there that's, that if he decides to hold it back, what's he going to get from holding it back? Nothing. If the farmer doesn't go and plant it in the ground, it can't duplicate. 
So he'll not have any crops because he failed to plant, and he'll not have any seed in the fall from the plants that were there. It's just like this this principle that, that God is teaching us that we need to be aware of. If, if we if we give and if we're generous the way God wants us to be, God, God can take care of our needs. God can can give an increase. If we're all about us, if we're just self you know centered and focused only about us then we might be like the other person there. We're withholding it, and, and we should give, but we only suffer want because it's like there's never enough because we've made all of our life about us instead of about helping someone else. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Once again, the world doesn't understand that. Jesus is more or less saying, you know, test me in this. If you'll give, there's going to be a gain that you receive. And and let me tell you something. Don't take this because I know some people think, oh, that sounds health and wealth like you hear on TV. The gain that you receive might not always be material gain. It might be spiritual gain. But I'm just of this opinion, guys. Any gain that God gives us is a good gain. Amen? It doesn't matter what it is. If God gives us some type of gain because we're willing to give, it's, it's a good gain. Later on in, in uh, Galatians, you find this. And, uh, next verse. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I understand this is talking about a person having wrong actions and everything in their life. But he's using the same principle we're talking about here. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He's talking there about sowing righteousness or sowing bad deeds, and that's what you're going to reap. But the same principle is being applied here. If we sow something, if we're willing to invest something, if we're willing to give, then we can reap from it. And if we're failing to accept that, if we fail sometimes to remember that principle and practice it, all we need to do is think about God and how generous God is. Look at this verse in Romans. He that spared not his own son talking about God, not sparing Jesus, sending Jesus, but delivering him up for us all. He delivered him up all the way to a cross. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now think about that principle for a moment. If God loves us enough to send his son to a cross, and if we will believe God enough to be generous as he calls us to practice generosity, the same God that put his son on the cross will also do what? Freely give us all things. Man, if he'll put his son on the cross for me, I think he'll take care of some other needs that I have, don't you? Not all my wants, but needs that we have. The first thing we need to understand is that our generosity this morning, it needs to be, it needs to be harvest focused. Second thing I want you to see is this the passion of generosity should be heart focused. The passion of our generosity, the, the, the reason why we are generous, the reason why we give, why we're moved to give, it ought to be focused upon our heart. Not because you're under a compulsion to give or you're being forced to give or manipulated to give or anything like that. But Paul writes these words, each one must give as he made up his mind. Not reluctantly, not that, you know, because if you're giving it like that, you're not really getting the blessing from it to start with. Not reluctantly or, or under compulsion. For God loves a a cheerful giver. God doesn't want us to give because we think we have to give. God wants us to give because we we want to give. 
Now, I've already mentioned this, and most of you have already heard the word study a lot of times in the past, but that word for cheerful literally means what? Hilarious. It means hilarious. He wants us to, to give with that type of attitude. Now, now, let me qualify that for a moment because I've met people before that would point at this verse and say, all right, I'm supposed to be a cheerful giver and as long as whatever small amount I give, you know, is, is with generosity and, and with, with this cheerful attitude, then, then it's fine. Well, you see, I think these two things go together. An obedient heart and a cheerful heart, I think these two things go together a great deal. Because if you're disobeying God and not giving what He calls you to give, then you're not really going to have a cheerful heart because you're going to be convicted in your heart for not giving what you should. So this isn't an out for someone to say, oh, I don't have to give very much at all. As long as I give it cheerfully, I'm okay. No, God calls us to be cheerful givers, but also to be obedient givers. And I think those two things, you know, have to match up or, or we're, going to, we're going to miss out on, on the blessing that God wants us to have. A farmer should sow his seed with expectation with cheerfulness, with, you know, waiting to see what, what's going to grow, waiting to see, you know, the process all over again, life springing forth. There ought to be just a cheerfulness and expectation in his heart. That's the way we ought to give. With a cheerfulness and an expectation of how it can impact the kingdom of God, how it can, can grow the kingdom of God as we are, are generous and, and we give. Not as the passion of generosity, but I want you to notice the provision of generosity. Where is it going to come from? The provision of generosity ought to be heaven-focused. It should be heaven-focused. Look at the verse again. God is able. I could stop right there, couldn't I? God is able. Do you agree with that? God's able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. And I want to remind you that as he talked to these Corinthians, he's talking about the grace of giving. All grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Wow. All sufficiency, all things, all times. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he who is distributed freely has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. When, when a farmer goes out to plant the field, expecting a harvest to take place, where does the seed come from? Well, I know in our day and time, our mentality is, well, he went down to the hardware store and he bought the seed and he, and he went and planted. Where, where does the seed really come from? Did the farmer create the seed? Did he manufacture the seed? Where did the seed come from to start with? God. The, the farmer can't make it grow. The farmer didn't come up with the idea of the plant to grow and, and, and cause the seed to germinate and everything like that. God does that. And just as, as God can cause the seeds of farmers and the plants to, to grow and have a, a large harvest, He's the one that provides that for the farmer. God's the one that makes the provision for us to where we can be generous to start with. He's the one that provides the, the, the seed that we need to be able to plant. He provides the provisions for us to be generous ourselves. God is the one that's all-powerful. God is the one that has the ability to make His grace, including the grace for us to give, to be 
active in our lives. God provides all that we need. He gives us all sufficiency in all things at all times. He has that ability so we can be generous and abound in good works for His glory. God distributes to us freely so you and I can distribute freely. We need to understand where it comes from to begin with. God is the one that gives us the provision to where you and I can practice generosity. When Paul said, as it's written, he's quoting from Psalm 112 in, in verse 9. And there, as uh, David writes, David's talking about a righteous man who gives with generosity and how when he gives to the poor with generosity, that will never, ever be forgotten. Who is it that supplied that righteous man to give to the poor to start with? It was God. And God's the one that supplies our needs. God's the one that provides for us so you and I can be generous. And the truth that Paul talks about back in the Psalms is still true for us. What we give that God calls us to give will never, ever be forgotten. We can make investments in this world that will not matter one bit in eternity. But thank God we can also make investments and be generous and do things like this trip to Africa and like Compassion International and many other avenues that we can be generous and that lasts for all eternity because God takes note of that. And it lasts forever and ever. We need to focus on being generous like that and understand God's the one that supplies the seed and the bread and everything that we need. You know what the biggest obstacle is to us giving a lot of times? Worry. Don't you think so in a lot of people's lives? Well, if I give, I might not be able to go on vacation. If I give, what if I get sick? If I give, what if something tears up? If I give, what if I don't have enough money to retire on when it's time to retire? And what we fail to recognize is when we have that mentality, what we're really doing is focusing on our own ability and putting faith in ourselves and our own ability to take care of ourselves. Look what God said in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. God said, try me out. If you don't believe me, try me out. Put me to the test. Do this. Give as I'm calling you to give. Says the Lord of hosts, put me to the test and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. God is throwing a challenge out to his people, and he's saying, I want you to give. Just bring it all as I tell you to bring it all, and you trust me in this. Don't trust yourself to manage it. Don't trust yourself to take care of yourself. Trust in me. Have faith in me, not in your own financial abilities, not in your own pocketbook, not in your own account. Instead, God is calling us to have faith in him. So instead of worrying about being generous, what we need to do is have the faith to be generous. And believe God and take God at his word and test him and believe that God will take care of us. I, I, some of you have been around here a while have heard me use this illustration before, but I, I don't know, it comes to mind again. I didn't have it in my notes or anything, but I can remember when Becky and myself were married. Um, I think we had $200. Back then, $200 was more than $200 today as far as where it would go. I paid $100 rent on the apartment that we were going to move into. And we took the other $100 and went to Gatlinburg for about three days or something like that, you know, for, for our honeymoon. 
And then I come back and we're putting our budget together and everything like that. And I was being a little bit resistant in that point of my life to this idea of tithing because on black and white paper, I could show you that it wasn't going to work. And her dad gets up and does a message on Baptist Men's Day at our home church about giving. And God convicts me and we've done it ever since. And I'm not bankrupt yet. I'm just telling you, God can take care of your needs. And what we need to do is, is, is trust Him. That ought to be the, the way we view generosity. God's the one that provides it to start with. He gives us the provision of it. Why do you look at the, at the product, the product of generosity? If a farmer plants something, some produce, then he's got some, some things that's, that's being produced. He's got a product that's taking place. And I think in the verses that Paul writes in verse 11 to 12, and, and I wrestle with using this word. That's not a word I use very much. And I remember when I first started hearing people talk about holistically or, you know, holistic and things like that. I thought that, I thought that sounded like a, a tree hugger word or something, you know? Uh, you know, like a, a, you know, a word that a hippie might use or something like that. And, I thought, yeah. and then I started looking into what the word really meant. Because it even sounded mystical to me to begin with. But holistic or holistically just means taking the, the whole picture into account. You know, how I can, can minister to the whole person or whatever. So I, I want us to look at, at how our generosity needs to be holistically focused and us understand the needs that are met and what takes place when we are generous. He, he says you'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So I want you to notice three products that happen through our generosity that Paul talks about in those verses. Here, here's the first product. One product of generosity is our personal enrichment. That's what he said. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. When we are generous, we have the opportunity to be enriched by, by giving. That happens in a lot of ways. One, one way it, it enriches our personal lives when we're generous is that it keeps us from being self-centered and self-focused when we'll start to look toward others and the needs that other people have in their lives. If we will look at what they need instead of just what we need and have a generous nature. An, another way we get personal enrichment out of it, back up please, another way we get personal enrichment out of it is that it makes us more like God. He gives us the opportunity to be generous because He is generous. We get personal blessings out of seeing the impact of our generosity in the lives of other people. So our own personal enrichment happens also from our generosity. Second product is this. Another product of generosity is ministry to those in need. He said, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. It was doing that. It does more than that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But when we're generous, we're actually, we actually have the opportunity to meet the needs of someone. And right, Leon, I'm sure, will share more next week. And then when they get back, they'll share some. But you see, I'm afraid in our culture, there's, there's this big disconnect between where we live and where these people live in Africa and our creature comforts and their creature comforts. But you don't have opportunity to meet a need out in Africa to put a roof over their heads where they have a place to worship whenever they want to worship. 
We don't think a lot about that, do we? Because we're just used to having a roof over our head. But we've got an opportunity to do that. The main product of our generosity is this. The main product of our generosity is thanksgiving to God. Paul said these two things. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He's saying the money that you're giving that we're going to take to Jerusalem, when we take it down there, it's going to cause those people to give thanksgiving to God. And then he said also later on in the verses that I just read, he said, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. You see, giving shouldn't be about us. Even when we give with a generous heart, it should never be with a motivation of, I want people to see what I've done. I want people to be thankful for my generosity. I I want people to elevate me because of my giving. You see, that's the wrong focus. If we have that type of focus in our generosity, I think that stinks from here all the way up into the nostrils of God. The motive that we ought to have for our generosity is not that people would thank Day 3 Church or thank you as an individual. The motive that we ought to have is that people would give thanksgiving to God because of our generosity. It ought to point people to God. I mean, those people in Jerusalem that Paul is getting this mission offering together to go and relieve relieve their needs. Yes, they would be thankful that the Macedonian believers and the Corinthian believers and other Gentile believers had given money. But Paul's saying that's not going to be the focus. The focus is not going to be what Paul did. The focus is going to be, look what these people who love Jesus have done. Look what these people who have trusted in Jesus have done. And it's going to remind these Jerusalem believers, look what Jesus has done for us. The God that saved us also saved these Gentile believers and also empowered them and gave them the means that they needed to send this offering so the thanksgiving ought to always be directed where? To God. Please do that. This chart over here is not so day three church can say, look what we did because we can't do anything. And without God, this place would shut down very quickly and ought to shut down very quickly without God. You agree with that? Because without Him, there's no reason for our existence. That's why we need to be sure that we have a focus, that the main product, our main goal in generosity is to, is to meet the needs of others, but primarily, primarily, it's to, primarily it's for people to give thanksgiving to God, that our, our generosity would bring forth thanksgiving to Him. Principle number nine is this. Principle number eight is that it ought to be harvest-focused. The reason that we're given is to impact souls, to have a big kingdom harvest. That's why we're given. Principle number nine, I think Paul tells us in verse 13 and 14, is that generosity ought to flow from our faith. It ought to just be there. Because of our faith, because of our belief in Jesus, because of our acceptance of the gospel, generosity ought to flow from our lives. Look what he says in verse 13 and 14. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, your giving, in other words, flowing from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace upon you. That that word flowing in the Greek means to be over or upon or in the direction of or or towards. He's saying as a result 
Well, let me just go through it. There's about four words I want to, one's implied and three are actually mentioned in those verses. But let me walk through those words and I'll make that comment I started to make. Look, look at the next slide. Submission. Generosity should flow by submitting to what we believe. He said, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. Submission is one of these words we might not like a lot because it really means we're bringing ourselves underneath the authority of. It means that we're allowing something to control us. We're, we're being uh, subordinate. We're being in subjection. We're obeying. We're bringing ourselves underneath. So when it comes to our generosity, Paul is writing these words. We ought to be submissive to God when it comes to our generosity because we believe in Jesus. So submission should affect us. Look at the next word that he writes in, in this passage. Not just submission, but confession. Generosity should flow because we trusted in Jesus, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Because we acknowledge Jesus, because we professed in Him, because we're in covenant with God, because we've assented to the validity of the truth of the gospel. It ought to be a natural thing of our lives that we're generous because God was so generous to send His Son. Our faith in the gospel ought to cause us to be generous. Next word, contribution. Our generosity should flow through our, our giving. Paul writes this. He said, in the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. That word for contribution is kind of interesting in the Greek. It means a, a partnership, a participation. It's a root word that means to be a sharer or an associate. So what we're doing is joining hands with God in work. We're joining hands together in work as we give. And we're making a contribution. And the generosity ought to flow through our giving. If you believe in Jesus, if you know what Jesus has done for you, you ought to be submissive to the will of God and be willing to give. Next word is implied. It's not actually said. But motivation Generosity should flow because of the relational connection with others and because of God's experienced grace in our own lives. Paul wrote this, while they long for you and pray for you. Do you see the relational connection there? He's telling these Corinthian believers, those Jerusalem believers are longing for you. Man, they, they love you too. They're longing for you. They're praying for you. He's telling these Corinthian believers that these messengers I'm sending to, to help you finish the offering so we can take it to Jerusalem. These messengers that I'm sending to you, they're longing to be in your presence. They are praying for you. You see, I, I'm just saying that ought, to, that ought to touch chords in our heart. When we have a relational connection with other believers and we know that there's love there and we know that they're longing and we know that they're praying for us, that ought to motivate us to give, but primarily... God's grace, the surpassing grace of God that we have in our lives. What greater motivation should you and I have to give than what God has done for us? Principle number 10 is this. Generosity provokes the worship of God. Generosity provokes the worship of God. Paul closed all this out that we've been looking at for these four weeks now. He wrote about generosity and giving through chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. And he closes it out by saying this, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible, depending on your translation, some translations say unspeakable, gift. 
What is that, by the way? Is that inexpressible gift, the amount of money that the Corinthian believers are going to get together and the Macedonian believers and will be sent down into Jerusalem? I don't think so. I think what happened here is this. Paul had been writing about generosity. And he is so reminded about the generosity of God. He is so reminded about the inexpressible, the unspeakable gift of God sending his son to die on the cross. That after Paul writes all this about generosity, he kindly breaks out in worship because he is so reminded of the, of the generosity of God, the gift of God that is so great, you can't even describe it. You can't even explain it. You can't express it in any way. And that's what Paul does. He said all this stuff, all these principles about generosity. And then he kind of closes out by just saying, thank you, God, for your inexpressible gift, for the unspeakable gift that you've given us in your son. So the gift, of course, I believe is Jesus and the gift of eternal life. And anytime we think about generosity, we ought to be like the Apostle Paul. Anytime we think about generosity, it ought to remind us of his generosity. When we think about generosity, it shouldn't be, I'm sorry, I'll lock mine up in the office. The only thing I can pull out is a microphone right now, but I started to pull out a wallet. When we think about generosity, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm having the gift. When we think about generosity, I'll be, look what he did. Look at the gift he's given us. It's unspeakable that he would do it. It's, it's inexpressible. How, how in the world could God, God give like that? Look what God has given to us by sending his son. And that ought to provoke us to worship God. I, you know, I think things play off of each other a lot. I really do. And I, I just think the, the more we focus upon how great God is and how great His generosity is, the more thankful we are. And the more thankful we are, the more generous we can be. I think those two things play hand in hand. I'm hoping when a roof gets put on a building in Africa that those people there will not be reminded of a church in America that sent some people down there with funds to put a roof on. I hope those people, every time they come into that building and sit underneath that roof, I'm hoping they'll be reminded of the inexpressible gift of God. And that they'll worship and be thankful and give thanksgiving to God. The Jerusalem believers, they would worship God because of the gift that they had received. But their thanksgiving would also be directed toward God. Because, you see, it was God that saved them. It was God who gave generously by sending His Son. It was God that saved the Corinthian believers. It was God that saved the Macedonian believers. It was God who moved upon their hearts to give with generosity. It was God who provided what they had to give to where they could be generous. That's why I'm saying the worship ought to be to God. I hope for now on the rest of your life, anytime you think about an offering, whether it be dropping something or we pass a plate or we're taking up a special offering, 
Anytime God moves upon your heart to be generous, you might be on the street and, and you're generous to give somebody some money because you some, see somebody you think's got need. Always, always, I hope it'll make you worship. I hope you'll be provoked to worship in thanksgiving every time you have the chance to be generous because God sent His Son. And that's an inexpressible gift. I can't even describe it, can you? And that's why we ought to be motivated to give. Thankful people can worship wholeheartedly. And people that have that type of worship and that type of gratitude and that type of of God's peace in their life because of what Jesus has done for them, that enables them to be generous. I'm going to give you a homework assignment, then I'm going to pray. The band's going to come, and, and then right after that, Ken and Macy's going to come up and tell you just a little bit about Compassion International, play a short video. Another opportunity to be generous. But here's your homework assignment. This week sometime, make you a list of every reason you have to be thankful. He ended this out by saying, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. If it's monetary gain or material possession that God's given you, your family, your, your, your marriage, your home, especially your salvation. But I want you to take time this week, and I want you to sit down and make a detailed list and say, God, help me to remember just a bunch of stuff I need to be thankful for. List all of it. Write all of it down. And worship God. Worship Him for it all. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray right now that you'd take this time that we spent in your word over these last few weeks and God, put it into our hearts and our minds to where, God, to where it becomes usable principles in our lives. Not stuff that we know in our head, but things we act upon with our heart. Father, help us to be more generous. Help us, God, with the Apostle Paul, to focus on the the unspeakable, the inexpressible gift of Jesus. And because of that, be motivated and called to worship you and practice generosity in our own lives. I thank you for what's been given. I thank you for what will be given. I pray for for Lynn as he comes to share next week. I pray for their safety as they travel. I pray that you anoint them with just a special touch from your spirit as they are there and they minister in your name. Father, I want to pray for our graduates that will be before us in a few moments. Father, I, God, I pray that you bless their lives. Lord, if there are any of them that don't know you as Savior, Father, I pray you speak to their heart and save them. And Father, I pray 
You empower them as they step into a new area of life that they would understand life is about you and living for you. Father, if there's someone here today that does not know you as Savior, God, I pray right now you'd reveal to them their need, give them the faith they need to trust in Jesus. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So we have this invitation song. I encourage you to use this as a time of worship to give, to go to our pedestals or to give to the Africa mission trip. I encourage you, maybe if you need to come and pray, you may not even know what you need to give. Maybe you need to come and kneel and pray and say, God, tell me what I ought to do. Maybe you just need to come this morning and and bow for a moment here at the front and say, I want to thank you and worship you for your inexpressible gift of Jesus. And maybe you need him in your life. And right now is the time that you need to say yes to him. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.